You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. If you have a Bible, I invite you to go to Psalm chapter 40, Psalm chapter 40, and I want to say if you are a guest with us today, whether you're here in person or, or online, so glad that you uh, took time to be with us today. My name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors of the Crossing Church, and on behalf of our uh, members, I just want to say that we're glad to have you with us. If you want to learn more about us as a church, um, you can, if you're online, click the little connect link. Um, that's going to be in the comment section, and uh, you can fill some information about yourself. Uh, if you're here, um, you can grab a card it's in the back seat in front of you, fill out some information that's on that, uh, leave it uh, in your seat, and that'll just be a way of us having a record of your visit and knowing how to serve you and love you to the best of our ability. Um, we are going to be in Psalm 40 today as we kick off our 2020 Advent series that we have entitled A Weary World Rejoices, um, which is a lyric from one of my favorite Christmas songs, O Holy Night. And the idea behind this series is that uh, we know this has been an incredibly weary year for a lot of people, and therefore we want to do the best we can over the next three weeks to really try to inject uh, some hope and some joy right into the middle of that weariness. Uh, I'm not sure if you have noticed it or not, but um, people are celebrating Christmas earlier than ever this year. Uh, the first time I noticed this was, I guess, was a few weeks ago. Um, our missional community was meeting at Shay and Emily Allstead's house. Good to see you on the back row back there. And um, we walked into their house and we discovered not one, not two, but three fully decorated Christmas trees. Keep in mind, this was a week after Halloween. And if you think that that is out of the norm, um, that's actually not the case. In fact, I was reading article after article this past week about how Christmas sales this year are going to be at a record high because, again, people are celebrating Christmas uh, bigger and earlier than ever. And in this article in the Washington Post, psychologist Kristen, Kristen Carpenter was asked, why is this? Why are people celebrating earlier than ever this year? And here's how she responded. She says, anything that we can add into the world right now to feed positive beliefs, those things are known to build resilience. And we all need that right now. And as simple or perhaps silly as something like Christmas lights going up earlier or bigger this year, it does help to create some hope that brighter days are ahead. And so in a year that has been filled with a lot of death, in a year marked by hardship and loss, people are eagerly waiting for Christmas. We are waiting for the birth of new life. We are waiting for hope. We are waiting for light to come piercing through the darkness. And it is in that waiting we are reminded what the Advent season is actually all about. If you're a kid or if you remember being a kid, uh, the Advent season or the Christmas season is about waiting for presents to pile up under the Christmas tree. And it's about shaking them and wondering, like, is it a possibility that mom and dad could put a puppy inside of this thing, right? Um, but if you're a disciple of Jesus, uh, Christmas, uh, Advent is not just about waiting for presents under a tree. It's about waiting for the presence of Christ. It's about looking back and remembering what it was like for the people of God, for Israel, to wait for hundreds and hundreds of years for the birth of a Messiah. And it's about waiting for the second coming of Jesus when he will one day 
put all things to right. It's about waiting for a day where there is no more COVID-19. It's about waiting for a day where there's no more death, where there's no more disease, where there's no more darkness. And so Advent is all about waiting. And this is where the problem comes in. Because as Americans, we're not very good at waiting, right? Um, and we're not very good at waiting for two reasons. One is because we live in what I would call a Amazon Prime type culture, which is this idea of like, we want everything right here and right now. I was talking with my kids this past week um, because they were complaining about something. I said, hey, believe it or not, if you would have grown up in the 80s or the 90s, like your father, um, there was a time where you actually had to wait on stuff. Um, for example, I was talking about music. And I said, you know, remember the days where if you wanted to hear a song you like, what did you have to do? Um, you had to go buy the CD or the, or the cassette tape. And if you didn't have the money, uh, you typically just had to sit and wait and listen to the radio, right, for the song to come on or get on MTV or VH1 and, and wait for the video to play. And then you would have your cassette tape there and you'd be ready to push record so that hopefully you could capture um, the majority of it. But usually if you're like me, you're like you missed the first like thir- you know, three to five, five seconds, something like that. And so you try to record it. That way you have it there all the time. And, 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 and now, like, what do you do? If you want to hear a song, you get on Spotify, you get on iTunes, and you can listen basically to any song you want, anytime you want, anywhere you want without waiting. The same is true when it comes to movies. The same is true when it comes to all things in life. And so I would say waiting is hard for us um, because we live in a culture that is absolutely built on speed. Another reason waiting is hard for us, and I think this really gets to the root of it, is waiting reminds us that we are not in control. And so, for example, whenever you're waiting for your spouse to get out the door because you're running late, total hypothetical scenario, (laughs) it's a reminder that you're not in control. Or whenever you yell across the house at your kids and you say, kids, come here. And they say, I'm coming, which you know means absolutely nothing. You are reminded that you are not in control. Some of you this morning are waiting to be married. Some of you are waiting to have kids. Some of you are waiting for a test result or a vaccine or for someone you love to get out of the hospital or get better. And in that waiting, you are reminded you are not in control. And so waiting is hard. Waiting is difficult. Waiting is scary. Waiting is uncomfortable. It's why we hate these things called waiting rooms. And I'm guessing if you were anything like me, therefore, if you could, you would do anything you can to eliminate waiting from your life. The problem is, according to the scripture, as much as we dislike waiting, we can never become the men and women we long to be apart from it. Now, the truth is, if we want to be the men and women we were created to be and long to be, we must learn how to wait and wait well. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. For those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not what? Be weary. They shall walk and not faint. In other words, what the prophet Isaiah is saying here is that if you want to become a resilient disciple of Jesus, which if you remember, that's what we're after as a church. More than we're after trying to create cultural Christians, we're trying to build resilient disciples at the Crossing Church. Men and women who can not just survive, but thrive in harsh conditions. And what Isaiah says, if this is the person you want to be, if you want to run and not grow weary, if you want to have the endurance to actually go the distance, no matter what is pushing back against you, you have to learn how to wait. More specifically, it says you have to learn how to to wait on the Lord. And so because this is not easy, 
Um, What I want us to do is I want us to learn from Psalm 40, which is a psalm all about waiting, how we can learn how to do this well, and as a result, become the men and women we were created to be. Does that make sense? So Psalm 40 is where we're going to be. I'm going to read all 17 verses, so just settle in, get comfortable, and just let this be read over you. I'm reading from the NIV translation, and by the way, as always, our notes are on the YouVersion Bible app, if that interests you. David says this, Psalm 40, verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and he gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord, my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you have planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burn offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God, your laws within my heart. I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails within me. Be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord. Help me. May all who want to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, aha, aha, be appalled at their own shame. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who long for your saving always, or may may those who long for your saving help always say, the Lord is great. But as for me, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. Around three years ago, I began to read through the Psalms every day. All the heroes of the faith, the people I look up to, all talked about how important the psalms are to them. And I thought, well, if they're important to them, they should probably be important to me. So I began to read five psalms a day, because if you do that, you can read through the entire psalms uh, every single month. And so I began this several years ago, and what I discovered were two things. The first thing I discovered is this. The psalms are not easy to understand. In other words, you can't just like read it real fast and then like shut your Bible and like run off. Um, if you really want the psalm to do a good work on you and in you, you have to really meditate on it. You have to chew on it. You have to marinate in it. And if you will do that, what I discover is it will begin to change you from the inside out. It's the first thing I, I notice. Secondly, what I discovered as I read the psalms, that actually all psalms are not random. They're actually all telling a story. And Psalm 40 is no different because in Psalm 40, we have David. And David is reflecting on a time in his life, not whenever he stood as a brave warrior in front of Goliath and slayed him in front of the cowardly like Israelites. He's not telling a story about how he used to wrestle lions with his bare hands. He's not telling about all of the victories that he gained when he was a general of an army. He's not talking about any of that. David is reflecting on a time where literally he thought he was going to die. 
He's reflecting on a time where he was anxious and he was absolutely overwhelmed. He was convinced that he was basically in this, this slimy pit that he speaks of and that there was no way out, that his best days were behind him. And so he says in verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord and he heard my cry. In other words, he rescued me. And if you're reading this psalm for the first time, you would think after verse 1 that the rest of the psalm is just going to be about David's divine deliverance, about how now his life is just amazing. But that's not what you get. In fact, the, the psalm closes not on this happy note, but with David once again pleading for more rescue. Uh, I think of these, these startling words in verse 17 where he says, My God, do not delay. And isn't life like that? You pray for God to deliver you. He may, he comes through, but then bam, there's something else that you need to be delivered from. You've been waiting on God, waiting on this thing to happen. It happens, but then you turn right around and then there's something else that's wrong and you're waiting for deliverance again. That's what David is dealing with here. He has waited and now he is waiting again and it is in this waiting, which is what Psalm 40 is all about. David is going to show us the key to how to wait well. So that we can become the men and women that we were created to be. And we long to be. And the first thing that David says in here, there's five things that he shows us. And the first thing that he says is this, is that if you want to learn to wait well, David shows us that we have to be a people who remember. This is the first key. You have to remember. Again, in verse 5, Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you have planned for us. None can compare with you were I to speak and tell of your deeds. They would be too many to declare. What is David doing here? He is literally calling to memory the mighty works of God. In his waiting, he is remembering all of the amazing things that God has done. And listen, this is not a passive memory that David has here. You understand the difference between a passive memory and an active memory? A passive memory is whenever your memory is jogged by uh, some sort of stimulus outside of your control. So maybe you smell a perfume and you think of an ex-girlfriend, right? You're not trying to do it. It just triggers it. Or you hear a song and all of a sudden it takes you back to some time in your life. That's a passive memory. That's not what we see happening here with David. David is choosing to actively summon to mind who God is and what he has already done for him. He's choosing to remember the mighty works of God. And listen, this is the first thing we have to get today. If we are going to be a people who wait well, we have to do the same. We have to choose in times of waiting to remember the faithfulness and the goodness of God. And I would say there are three ways that you can do this. The first way that you can remember God's goodness is by reading the scripture. Whenever you feel like you have nothing, you need to read the creation account and be reminded that God is famous for taking nothing and creating something. When you feel like you're in slavery and you're being oppressed, go back and read the Exodus account and see how God is famous for freeing the captives. Go read the scriptures over and over. Look at the stories of David. Look at the promises fulfilled in Jesus, the signs and wonders performed in the church. And by doing that, we can remember God's faithfulness. Secondly, we can remember God's faithfulness by looking to history of the church, looking at ordinary men and women, just like you and me who have built their lives on Jesus and not been put to shame. Read about people like Augustine and Bonhoeffer and C.T. Studd, which is a fantastic wrestling name, by the way. George Mueller, Billy Graham, John Wimber. Read about women like Corey Tin Boone and Elizabeth Elliot. By the way, total side note, just like a humble brag. Did I send that picture of the guitar? 
Is there a picture of a guitar? Just like, yeah. Okay, there it is. Check this out. Crazy moment this past week. I just mentioned Elizabeth Elliot, so this is my way of transitioning into bragging about this moment. Um, this past week, I found myself on Thursday in the home of Roy Orbinson. Anybody know who that is? Pretty woman. Um, and in the exact room where he and Johnny Cash recorded some songs together. Um, and Matt Marr, you may know Matt Marr? Um, yeah, Matt Marr led us in what was me and 20 other pastors came in, surprised us, led us in worship using this guitar. And this guitar, um, it was Nate Saint's guitar. Nate Saint was a good friend to Jim Elliott, who was Elizabeth Elliott's husband. And if you don't know the story, Nate Saint, and this is back in the 60s, I believe, and Jim Elliott go to reach an unreached people group in Ecuador with the gospel, and they are martyred. They're speared to death. They found this guitar by Nate Saint's body. And somehow Matt Marr ended up with it and led us in worship with it. But when we look at stories like this, by the way, if you don't know about Elizabeth Elliot, after her husband was killed, she went back to this tribe to share the gospel with them, ended up converting the whole group and baptized the very man who had killed her husband. Read those stories. And it builds your, you're reminded of the faithfulness of God. Another way that you can be reminded of the faithfulness of God is not just by looking at scripture, not just by, you know, studying church history, but also by recalling our own stories. By remembering moments that God has been faithful to you. My son, Wyatt, interesting enough, has never had night terrors, but when we started the ghost story series, he started having night terrors. And um, I absolutely believe a lot of it's spiritual warfare. I mean, we believe in those kind of things. If you believe in God, you got to believe in the devil, right? And so um, even the elders laid hands on him and, and prayed. But he was in a season where he would even wake up about once an hour. So we're getting no sleep. Um, and my heart, if your kid ever has gone through anything like that, you just feel like absolutely helpless, right? You want so bad to help him and you can't. And as I was tempted to kind of go into despair and get angry with God, I just remembered God's faithfulness in the life of Wyatt. And I remember some of you uh, would know this because you've been around our church for this long, but whenever my wife was pregnant with Wyatt, um, he was on the wrong side of her, of her stomach. And I won't go into all the details of why that is, but, but the doctor came in at our first ultrasound and said, look, he's, he's actually not in a good spot. In fact, the way he's positioned, he's going to be premature at best, and probably you want to be able to give birth to him. Like he's he's gonna he's not going to make it. And so he sent us to this um, uh, I don't know some sort of expert in Little Rock, and we went and we met with this this doctor there who was supposed to try to help us figure out what to do next. But before we went, we had a prayer meeting, and some of you came and laid hands on my wife, and and you prayed that Wyatt literally would move to the other side of her belly, which had to happen. And so we go, and this doctor in Little Rock takes, uh, does you know, an ultrasound. He puts it up, and he compares it to the one in Jonesboro, and he says, look, I don't know what to tell you. I don't even know how this happened. I've never seen it happen, but your son has moved to the other side of your belly. And so he flopped, and we're like, well, we know God answered our prayers. And, and so Wyatt, you know, goes full term. He's born eventually seven days after he was born, totally different issue. But he had to have an emergency surgery, had a bleeding issue, had an emergency surgery. The doctor says there's a 50% chance he's going to die in surgery. He's not going to make it. I remember Chuck Schwinn came. Luke was up there in the waiting room. Some others came. And we just prayed that God would spare his life. And he came out of surgery fine. And he's still alive today. And I just felt God in this, in this past you know, kind of season with all the night terrors, you know, I just kind of felt like this, this. I told my wife, like, why it's not even supposed to be here? And he's here because God's been faithful to us. Because he's been protecting him from day one. So why in the world would we think he's going to stop doing that now? He's with us. 
You recall the faithfulness of God. It helps you wait. Um, most of you know this has been a hard season for, for every church. Matter of fact, that's why I was in Nashville. I was a 20 pastors from all over the country who was a part of this thing called Redeeming 2020. And basically, we just all cried on each other's shoulders <laughs> and, and, and talked about the glory years of, of church, you know, or whatever. And, uh, and, um, and actually, I left thinking, I've got it pretty good compared to some. But um, anyways, whenever COVID hit, you know, one of my fears was, well, when you don't have people here, you don't have money coming in either. I'm just being completely honest with you. And not just my salary is tied up with that, but we've got four full-time staff. We've got, part, we've got several part-time staff members. We've got utilities. We've got other things. And I just kind of thought for a second, like, we're not going to be able to to keep the lights on, you know, like we're not going to be able to pay for everyone and that, you know, take care of all of our staff that we need to take care of. And, and as I found myself kind of running this place of despair, once again, I just began to recall God's faithfulness in our church. And I thought about a time in my life where we had just moved into this building and you guys might remember that. And it cost way more than we thought to get in here. And we had just hired Adam. So that wasn't just me. It was another full-time staff member. And like the second week Adam is here, one of our best givers, a guy who gave probably about $120,000 a year, left the church. Um, just gone. Decided to go somewhere else. And I remember thinking in that moment, like, on paper, we will not be able to pay for this building. We will not be able to afford my salary and Adam's. And what's amazing is a year and a half later, we were able to pay off our building without this guy. And we even added another staff member, Robert. And we've continued to grow since then. And as I began to think about that, I began to think again about God's faithfulness, about how he always comes through, which allows you again in times of waiting when you don't know what's going to happen to wait well. Does that make sense? And so you have to recall these stories. Remember God's faithfulness, whether it's reading the scripture, whether it's looking at church history or looking at your own life. And by the way, if you don't have any of those stories in your own life, go up to other people in our church and say, would you tell me about some times when God's been faithful and he's come through for you? Like it helps build your faith. Secondly, if we want to learn to wait well, not only do we need to remember, but we also need to pay attention. In verse 6, David says, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. Now there's a lot packed into these short verses, but for our purposes today, just focus on that phrase in verse 6, where David says, my ears you have opened. What David is saying is, God, I'm paying attention. Like, I'm, I'm listening to your voice. I'm seeking your counsel. I'm sitting in a posture of humility and waiting for you to teach me and instruct me in my season of waiting. And guys, the reason it's so important that we do this, and please get this, what God wants to give you in your waiting is often greater than what you're waiting for. I want to say that again. What God wants to give you in your waiting is often greater than the thing you're waiting for. And you need to open your ears and hear exactly what it is that God is wanting to give you that is so great in your waiting. Um, as many of you know, when I got back from a ministry trip in October, I got, uh, I, uh, got tested positive for COVID-19, and I was very discouraged not because I thought I was going to die, although there was like you know a little bit of that anxiety in the back of my mind, like, hey, how am I going to be impacted by this? But uh, I was really discouraged because literally every time that I go on a ministry trip, uh, me or my wife get sick. Not on vacation, but like when I go and do ministry, 
um, every single time. It's the most bizarre deal. Um, and so I go to this trip in, in, in Albany, Georgia, trying to serve the Lord, come back with COVID-19, get quarantined. I'm thinking, like, I don't have time for this. Like, God, what are you doing? Why won't you protect me? The elders even prayed before I left that you would protect me. And yet here I am uh, with the coronavirus. And, 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 and I guess it's probably like day three, day four in, all of a sudden I was like, you know what? I'm going to shut up. I'm going to quit telling God the what for. I'm going to go to my closet. I'm going to turn off the light. I'm going to shut the door. And, and, and I'm just going to listen to him. So I told Megan, like, just keep the kids away from me, please, for like 10 minutes. And I go in there, and I sit, and I just listen to the Lord. Like, God, what do you want to say to me? And within about three or four minutes, he directed me to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, and, and here is what I read in verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lack anything. Now to you, that may not mean a lot, but that was exactly what I needed to hear from God in that moment. Because here's what God then said to me. Jared, you're getting up almost every Sunday and talking about resilient discipleship and how you want everybody out there to be a resilient disciple. And I want you to know that I love you so much that I want you also to be a resilient disciple. And therefore, what I'm doing in this quarantine is I am maturing you. I am growing you into the resilient disciple so that as the world continues to body slam you over and over and over, you're going to be able to continue to get up, to press forward, and to finish the race that I've called you to run. Now, I wasn't all of a sudden like, COVID, yippee, right? Like, like that wasn't what happened. But I did gain a new perspective that in that moment honestly filled my heart with hope and joy and affection towards a God who is using this for my good. So if you want to wait well, remember. Secondly, pay attention. Listen to what God is trying to tell you. Third, praise. In verse 9, David says, I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. Guys, as difficult as it may be, if you want to wait well, you need to proclaim God's goodness. You need to praise God with your lips. You need to embark in worshiping Him. And listen, not just by yourself. Like, like, like in order to wait well, you need to praise God, David says in verse 9, in the great assembly. He says in verse 10, I did not conceal of your love and faithfulness from the great assembly. So listen, this is not just about praising God when you are by yourself in your home. It's not just about putting on the earbuds and listening to Bethel and raising your hands. Like there's a place for that, and that's great. But what you need to understand today is that if you are going to be a resilient disciple, you need to proclaim the goodness of God in community. You need to carve out space like we see here where we are praising God with the gathered church. Especially, by the way, when you don't feel like it. It's so important that we get this today, guys, because I am, I am very thankful for online church. Very thankful for it. I totally get the, the, the need for it, especially in this season. But I just want you to know, for those who are even watching online right now, that is not a long-term fix for you. Like, like we desperately need to 
praise God and to proclaim his goodness when we are with other people. And, and why is that? Think about this. I was about this last week. When I get on Facebook and I scroll through my, my news feed, do you know what I typically see pictures of? Your kids or your dog, if you don't have kids. And it's not pictures of your kids doing bad stuff. It's like straight A's or home run or look how good their eyes look in this lie or whatever it may be. And what is that all about? It is about the reality that we know that when we share something good with others, it only increases the level of goodness. Does that make sense? And that's why it's so important that we don't just praise God alone, but we come together and we proclaim the ultimate good, God himself. And when we share it together, it increases the goodness and it builds us up. Does that make sense? And so we remember, we pay attention, we praise Fourth, I would say this, if you want to wait well, you have to tell the truth. You have to be honest. Listen to what David says in verse 11. Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me for troubles. Look at this. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me. I cannot see. There are more than the hairs of my head. They are more, he says, than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails within me. What's so sad to me is oftentimes whenever people think about Christians, they think of people who are fake. That's so sad to me. They think of people who just pretend like everything is fine when it's clearly not fine. And listen, if that's where you are, please hear me. When you read this Bible, it is clear God never expects you to pretend. He never expects you to fake it until you make it. He never asks you to wear these rose-colored glasses and pretend like everything is amazing when it's not amazing. And if you don't believe me, just listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Can we put that on the screen so I don't have to... Okay, yeah, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. This is the Apostle Paul who wrote, by the way, a big chunk of the New Testament. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles that we experience in the province of Asia. Next slide. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that, look at this, this is Apostle Paul, to live as Christ and to die as gain, so that we despaired of life itself. That's how bad I was hurting. Indeed, we felt like we had received the sentence of death. Paul, can you say that? Well, he just did. Why would he say something like that? Because he's showing us what it's like to be honest. And we need to learn to do the same if we're going to wait well especially in seasons of waiting, especially when it feels like God is not answering your prayers, that he has turned his back on you. When it seems like he has abandoned you, we have to learn to be honest. And listen, guys, if we will not do this, when you pretend like everything is fine, when it's not fine, when you refuse to admit what is wrong, you bury the truth. And when you bury the truth, not only does it make you more lonely and anxious and bitter and depressed, but you miss out on the transformation that God wants to do in you and through you in the waiting season. One of the things we are so passionate about here at the Crossing Church is that this is a place where you can take off your mask. Not literally, metaphorically. Okay? We really want this to be a place. We say this, where the real you meets the real Jesus. Where you can stop trying to be someone you're not. And you can just admit, you know what? I'm not okay. I'm really struggling here. And know that rather than being met with one of these, you're met with this right here. With people saying, you know what, I love you, and I'm with you. I'm not leaving you. In fact, I, I'm committed to helping you grow towards becoming the man and woman that you were created to be. 
and that you are in Christ. That is essential if we are going to wait well. Finally, I would say this. If we are going to wait well, not just do we need to remember, not just do we need to pay attention and praise and tell the truth, but finally, we need to pray. We need to pray. Verse 13 through 17, we'll read this and be done. David says, Be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. May all who want to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say, aha, aha, be appalled at their own shame. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who long for your saving help always say the Lord is great. But as for me, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. I'm not going to belabor this point because we've talked a lot about prayer this year, but I just want you to, I, I, I want you to know this. If you're going to learn to wait well, you have to cultivate a heart of prayer. You have to learn to take everything to God, no matter how big or how small, and know that he hears your prayers. And not only does he hear your prayers, but because he's a good father who loves to give good gifts, he will always do what is for your good. John Stark, who's a pastor in New York, wrote a book called The Possibility of Prayer. And in it, he talks about this star, the Crab Nebula. Um, that exploded over a thousand years ago. And he says that if you were to look at the star through a telescope, you would see little to no change in it. You wouldn't be able to tell that it's really changed at all over the last 50, 60 years or whatever. But what's interesting is despite the fact that you would see little to no change to the naked eye, astronomers tell us the star, listen to this, this star has been expanding at a rate of 70 million miles a day for over a millennium. Think about how crazy that is for a moment. Think about how crazy it is that we live in a universe that is so large and is so vast that something can increase by over a billion miles wide, and yet to the naked eye, you can't even tell it's changed. That's how big our world is. As a result, John Stark goes on and he says this, Who is this God of exploding stars, and what have we to do with him? I want to read that again. Who is this God of exploding stars, And what have we to do with him? I just want to ask you today, when you think about your own prayer life, when you think about your own relationship with God, when you think about how often you make requests known to him and you talk to him about what's what's bothering you, what's going on, and you ask him for things, what really do you have to do with the God of exploding stars? Guys, the God who spoke the universe into existence has gone to great lengths in order to be with you, and so that you can be with him. And that is really what Advent is all about. That's what Christmas is all about. It's why we celebrate in this season. It's not about presence, but it's about the presence of God. It's about God becoming man. It's about him being born into a manger, born into our mess, born into our sickness, born into our dark, born into our uncertainty, and then living a perfect sinless life that we could never live in, then going to a cross, going to being hung on a tree where he shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins and then rose from the dead, conquering sin, conquering death, conquering hell, so that now when we trust in him, we can enter into God's presence and we can do it not with fear, but knowing with great confidence that no matter what happens here on earth, that nothing, nothing, Nothing can separate us from his love. This is why we take of communion every week. It is not just some empty religious formula. Jesus knew before he left that we needed this as a tangible reminder of what he's accomplished for us. 
And today, as we enter into Advent season, as we think about how weary we are, as you take that bread and you take the juice, be reminded that the bread represents the tangible body of Christ that came to this earth in order to be with you. God is not far off from you. It may feel like he is far off in the season, but he's not far off. As you drink the juice, be reminded that it represents Jesus' blood that was shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. So that now you can right now sit in the presence of God and rather than being obliterated like we see of people in the Old Testament, you can receive the love of God. The same love that the Father set on Jesus is now set on you. And if you're a Christian, if you've trusted in Jesus, then take communion, whether you're a member of our church or not. But if you're here today or you're watching online and you are not a Christian, here's what I just want to say as we close this morning. I know that it has been a hard year. And if you're anything like me, you're tired. Tired of the pain. Tired of the loss. Tired of living in certainty. Tired of the freaking mask. Tired of having to wait. My prayer today is this. If you have not trusted in Jesus, my hope and my prayer is that more than you will wait on a vaccine, more than you will wait on perfect health, more than you'll wait for things to go back to, to normal, more than you'll wait on a better job or, or for more money or the right spouse or kids, that you will wait on Jesus, that you will put your hope in him. From my experience, when Jared Pickney has waited on something else to give me satisfaction, fulfillment other than Jesus, if I got it, guess what? It didn't give me what I thought it would. Whether it was a big church or more money or better health or more likes on social media, so many things I can point to in my life that I've waited for and thought, if I could just get that, then I'd be happy. And I'm telling you, nothing satisfies or fulfills apart from Jesus Christ. In Psalm 25, David, another psalm, says that those who wait on the Lord will not be put to shame. And so if you've never waited on Jesus, if you've never put your hope in Jesus, I pray that you would do that today. And if you want more information about how to do that or what that looks like, come and see me up here. We'll social distance. Um, or shoot me a message on Facebook, email me. I would love to help you process next steps.